0: invite your attention this morning, thank you, Meg, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Uh, we will be looking at our series over the next several weeks, the Back to the Basics, Who is God? Uh, last week we started with uh, Why Study God? And we saw uh, several things we'll get to in just a minute. Uh, but before we get there, I just wanted to say that uh, in recent years there's been a trend. I hope you'll get a laugh out of what's coming. I got a laugh out of what's coming, but I have a very dry sense of humor. So if you don't have a dry sense of humor... Just humor me this morning, and 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 we'll do this together. But you know, as we study this thing called back to the basics, God is uh, God is who He is. We see that there are a lot of problems. But in recent years, across society, there's been a trend called first world problems. Many of you may have heard of these, seen these before. But I want to give you some first world problems as we start off our study today that maybe you have experienced as an American, as, a, uh, as someone living in this country. Uh, Amy, why don't you throw up that first one? First world problem that happens often is I want to eat chips, but I can't hear my TV over the crunching. Maybe that's ever happened to you. That happens to us quite often, especially cereal. Cereal will get you there too. Teenagers, I put one in here for you. Uh, this often happens, we live in Independence temporarily for the next month or so before we move up here. This happens in Independence Center all the time. <laughs> parents will drive me to the mall and pay for everything, but being seen at the mall with my parents is mortifying. It's Very true. That's a first world problem that ha- affects teenagers across all generations. This next one, many of you probably experienced on this cold Sunday. You want to turn off the lights, but the bed is way too comfortable. Uh, you all act like you've never had these problems before. Every morning. Uh, my, I'm learning this as a married man. Uh, my wife, I'm learning shampoo and conditioner. But this next one, my shampoo and conditioner never run out at the same time. I have no idea who that is in the picture. It's just, I don't know. And apparently if you buy shampoo and conditioner together, that's not a good thing, my wife tells me. So I, I, I don't know. Mine's a three-in-one, you figure it out. This next one will get you, if you're a Chiefs fan especially, uh, I left the remote on the other side of the room. That is a big first world problem. What about church problems? What about first world church problems? Many, I am not a coffee drinker, full disclosure, many of you know that. I'm hot chocolate. Thank you, Betty Dewey, for making hot chocolate for me every week. Church coffee is not as good as Starbucks. That is a church problem, 101, Right? And this last one, I had to chuckle as a pastor. I did not make these. I grabbed these from other websites, but this last one just made so much sense. I finally convinced my friend to come to church, but the sermon was on tithing that Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I thought that was pretty funny. It's not on tithing today. It's not on tithing, I promise. But first world problems are problems that you get from living in a more wealthy, industrialized nation that we have. And when a third world person who lives maybe in the bush or the jungle don't have those problems, we laugh at these things because we know they're so true, don't we? But how much true is it as we look at the back to the basics? One of the biggest first world problems we have as Christians often is that we don't see the need to study who God is. Because we already got it down, right? Just like we had down all those other things that were up on the screen. And so maybe you can relate to these. These are real honest problems. But as Christians... I think one of the biggest problems that we have in the church is that we look at a study like this, maybe not out loud, but in our hearts, and we say, you know, I already know who God is. I got this down, Pastor. I'm just going to go to sleep for the next 35 minutes while you preach. But friends, I think it's always good to be reminded, isn't it, about the things that we need to be reminded of. Second Peter 1.12 says this, to be on the screen for you, therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in them. Peter was writing to a group there that was well-versed in the scriptures, Jewish believers. And yet he tells them, I need to constantly remind you about these things. And that's why one of the biggest things that we're doing here at Tower View, we want to be in the reminding ministry. We want to be in a ministry that at all times we are not deceived in thinking that because we've heard it before, we may not have to know it again. And that's a first world problem, I think, for a lot of churches all across the board, whatever country you're in. And that's why we're not blown away by every fad of Christianity that comes along. Because isn't it true? They happen a lot. That could be a a first world church problem. There's always fads coming down. But we know that ultimately, as Christians, the way that we grow is by knowing the basics well and knowing them better and better and being reminded of them. So do you consider, that's a question I have for you this morning. Do you consider perhaps the greatest problem? in your life today is you don't know God. I don't know. We don't know God as well as we should. And have you submitted those anxious struggles with God or maybe the pride with that that comes out? Because today we're going to talk about a very foundational doctrine. How many of you have ever heard a sermon just on the Trinity before? The Trinity. Some hands go up. You'd be amazed. Uh, Most churches, I just went around to famous church websites and said, I just want to see if they've Many churches have never preached on this, but it's so important as we study who God is. And here's the big idea today. You can spell out the Trinity, and you may lose your mind. Some of you today are going to walk away saying, whoa, mind is blown, Matt, mind is blown. But you snub the Trinity, and you will lose your soul. Augustine, the great church historian, church father, said this. He said, in no other subject is error more dangerous and inquiry more laborious or the discovery of truth more profitable. Wow. You know, throughout all church history, throughout all church history, this has been the one thing that has been defined as either being in Christ, or if I can say it, being a heretic outside of Christ. And wouldn't you know that if you ask most Christians what the Trinity is, they will say, I don't know. I've never been taught it. Or isn't that just what you do at seminary? Isn't that just like a theology thing? I mean, guys, this is the most practical thing ever. It's interesting that on the last time with the disciples in the upper room, in John 14 to John 16, that Jesus basically unpacks the Trinity as he talks about the Holy Spirit, God the Father, his position. And so despite all the confusion, despite all the apparent non-practicalness or irrelevance of this thing, the doctrine of the Trinity, I pray you'll see today, is true, it's relevant, and it matters for you wherever you sit right right where you are today. We're going to look at three things today. God is one. We'll we'll unpack this today. We're going to look at three headings from Matthew and other verses. We're going to look at the biblical foundations. Where does the Bible talk about this? Here's a big word, theological exploration. What does this really mean? And finally, the practical explanations. I think many of you have, I don't have my bulletin with me, many of you have that bulletin insert in there. That insert, if you, we'll get there in a little bit, but there's so much with this doctrine. And church, I just want to remind you today that because we're studying doctrine, the teachings of what we believe, don't just think it's head games. The head games turn into heart realities as we go through everything that we're going to go through today. But I just want to let you know as well that this is not just something that defines what we believe. This literally can mean eternity for you or for someone else, getting this down and getting it down right. With that in mind, will you join me in standing, if you're able, this morning for the reading of God's Word? We are not going to unpack completely Matthew 28, but we need a place in the New Testament where this was taught. And so Matthew twenty eight sixteen through 20, uh, often preached through the Great Commission, and it is, but it also is another place where we see the Trinity. Read from the ESV this morning, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, or go ye therefore, your virgin may say, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, or lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's a great promise, isn't it? Aren't you grateful God's with us even till the end of the age? But it starts by understanding who He is. God is one, the Trinity. Not just a theological exercise, but practical for your life. We'll get through that. Let's go before the Lord as we pray, and uh, we'll we'll ask the Lord to bless our time this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we have the opportunity on a snowy day. We know a lot of our regular folks are uh, at home, and Father, we pray for travel mercies for many. We think of Steve traveling to see his father in uh, Wichita this morning. Father, many uh, who are just uh, unable to be here, but Father, thank you for those that are. We pray this will be a profitable time, Lord, as we seek to honor you through your word Father, may you give us insight through your spirit to know who you are. Father, we know we can't spell it out completely, but we pray we would not dismiss it completely either. Father, we thank you so much that we have your word this morning. May you be honored and glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. What I'm going to do, this, uh, many of you know that usually we just have three slides for the three main points of the sermon. Uh, We're going to do it a little bit differently today, because I want you, if you are a note-taker, I'm going to read a lot of verses this morning, and if you are a note-taker, I would just encourage you just to write these verses down. Um, Even if you are the best Bible drill person in the world, or the best scroller, if you have an iPad, you are not going to get to these verses that quick, so I just encourage you to write them down. But we need to start off, what is the Trinity? Friends, we believe that there is one God in three persons. One God in three persons, and we get that through seven little statements that we're going to go through in the first point. Biblical foundations. The Trinity can be summarized very simply this way, and you'll see it on the screen. There is one God. One God. The Father is God. The Son, Jesus Christ, is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And this is where the mind is going to start to really you're going to wrestle with this. Hold your fasten your seatbelts. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Are you awake and ready for this? All right, good. These seven statements, friends, are not just theological nomenclature. They're not just terminology. This is what we believe. If you go to the right or to the left or just bend a letter one different way, so to speak, you really are getting into some bad stuff, and we'll get there in the second point. But I just want to unpack what these are and what these aren't because it's so foundational to us as Christians and as a church why these are so important. So we're going to take a look at the first one, one God. Again, references will be on the screen. I'll read through some of these. But uh, if you're a note taker, just write these down. So we believe there's one God. That's probably not going to offend most people. But here's where we get that from. Deuteronomy 6.4, known as the Shema, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one is one not multiple but one isaiah 44 6 thus says the lord the king of israel and his redeemer the lord of hosts i am the first i am the last besides me there is no god so this isn't going to offend most people you can go up to a muslim and ask them do you believe in one god they are going to say what yes you go up to a jew they're going you're going to say do you believe in one god what are they going to say yes so it's pretty basic in that sense And with the Bible teaches across the board, there is one God, one God, not multiple, but one. Let's get a little bit deeper into this. We also believe that the Father is God. The Father is God. This shouldn't be controversial. In the New Testament alone, the Bible refers to over 30 places where God the Father is mentioned as God. And so let's just go through a couple of those. John 6, 27. Do not labor for the food that perishes, Jesus says. But for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you for on him, God, the father has set his seal, has set his seal. God, the father, Titus one four. grace and peace to you from God, the father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Again, we're not really saying much here. This controversial so far, are we? This is pretty basic, pretty basic Christianity 101. But this next one, though, gets a little bit more controversial. So we see that God is one, the Father is God, thirdly we see the Son is God. The Son is God. This is probably, outside the Holy Spirit, the most controversial thing that you can get into in Christianity, because if you miss Jesus, you miss everything, right? If you miss who he is and who he's not, you can go into all sorts of bad stuff on both sides of that coin. So who is Jesus? We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He is fully divine. He is fully God. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, our friends, the Jehovah's Witnesses, we mentioned this at the men's dinner last night, but that last phrase in John 1.1 says the Word Word was God. They have mistranslated that to create a whole religion that says that Jesus isn't God, that he's a created person just like you and me. See how easily it can be twisted. John 8.58, truly I say to you, Therefore, this is Jesus, before Abraham was, I am. You, Bible scholars, you remember this, Exodus 3.14, what did Moses ask God? He said, he said, who should I say is sending me, and what did God tell him? I am. Jesus, in John 8.58, the Bible goes on to say they took up stones of stoning, because they knew what he was saying. Jesus equated himself with God when he said that. How about Luke 24.52? This is after Jesus is resurrected, They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. You don't worship someone, if you're a Jew, that saw the risen Jesus, you don't worship someone unless you believe that they are God. That's blasphemy. So Jesus equates it like that. Colossians 2.9, For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Christ, everything is found about who God is. How about John 20.28? Doubting Thomas, many of you all know that phrase. Doubting Thomas, what did he say? He said, man, I'm not going to believe Jesus rose unless I see the nails in his hand and I see the pierced side. And what happened to him? God came or Christ came to him and he said, Thomas, here I am. And what, it, what was his response? He said, my Lord and my God. And here's one. If you all, this is a very obscure reference, not obscure, but it's, it's a less known rather reference to Christ. First Corinthians 8, 6 says, yet there is one God, the father From whom all things are and from whom all things exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, through whom we exist. Friends, this is so clear. Do you see how important it is as a Christian? You can't just believe. You know, if you walk up to someone and say, do you believe in Jesus? What are most people going to say? Yeah, of course I believe in Jesus. Bigger question is, who is Jesus to you? Jesus is very popular, isn't he? People wear crosses all the time. People have crosses in their homes. But do they believe in the Christ of the Scripture that is the Son of God? That's the big question. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, the biggest question you must answer is just that. Who do you say that he is? And Christian, if you're here today, stand in awe of your Savior. He's not just a glorified man. He is the God-man. He is Jesus Christ, high and lifted up. He is God. He is God. So we see, I know I'm going through this quickly, There is one God. The Father is God. The Son is God. And lastly, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Okay, I have to stop here for just a second. We have not seen it, but how many of y'all have seen the new Star Wars movie that has come out? A lot of hands go up. That's that's good. Some of you have raised multiple hands and toes because you've seen it multiple times. You know, this next time that we're talking about, the Holy Spirit is probably... Outside of Christ, the most misunderstood. We don't have time to unpack all that the Holy Spirit is, but the Holy Spirit is fully God. He is not, as some say, uh, some especially Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you that the Holy Spirit is like the Force from Star Wars. That if you just—I don't know how the Force works, but I guess you—it's kind of like a stomach ache. You can feel the Force go in different ways. I'm being facetious, but you know what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit is not like a bad heartburn that you get. But he does convict you of your sin, and you may, you should feel conviction for that. But the Holy Spirit is not just some red-headed stepchild that it's like, Father, Son, and oh, by the way, there's this guy over here. No, he's fully divine. And I think, if anything, in Baptist churches, we've diminished the role of the Holy Spirit than, than really proclaim the, what he is, who he is. Hebrews nine fourteen. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences from dead works to the living God. 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6 talk about how God's temple resides in you. If you're a Christian, Christian, I just want to encourage you today, you have the power of the living God in you. Not to dispense, I don't know how the force works in Star Wars. So, Adam, you can tell me later, you're a big Star Wars fan. But the Holy Spirit is not just like you weld this up and you just shoot it out like Superman. You know, That's not what it is. The Holy Spirit is He is fully God, and because of that, when we sin especially, he points us to show us our sin, and Christ forgives us through his mercy, and the Father pardons, and all the Trinity working together in that way. So where do we get that the Holy Spirit is God? Those verses I read, but also in Acts 5. Many of you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They sold some land, and what did they do with that money? They sold some of the land, and they gave some of the money to God, but God wanted all of it. And Peter says, you have not only lied to me, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God himself. Again, the Spirit is not a red-headed ch- stepchild. The Spirit is not just some force out there. The Spirit is fully divine, bringing you to know Christ. Christian, if you're here today, the Holy Spirit is the one that peeled back your spiritual eyes, so to speak, that you could see the beauty of who Christ was in the heinousness of your sin. Thank the Lord that he gave us his Spirit. We are not left by ourselves. If you read the Bible, and we encourage you to, the Spirit is the one who the big word illumines, lights it up like a light bulb, the scriptures in your life. Many of you have known that when you've read the Bible, it's just like it comes alive. Many of you can testify to that. You just read the same passage over and over, and by God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he brings it to life. So much more we can unpack with that, but the Holy Spirit is God. So God is one. The Father is God. The Spirit is God. The Son is God. So, where do we get this idea of Trinity? Go ahead and throw that up there for me, if you will, Amy. We get that from Matthew 28, 19, among other passages. Go therefore in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Galatians 4, 6. God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Son sends the Spirit to our hearts to call us to the Father. Guys, let's just be very honest here. We have a a, a quandary. Either you believe that there are three gods in Scripture, or there is one God in three persons. That's what you're left with. So what do you do? Well, we, we, we take the scripture in light of scripture. Good Bible study tells you that you don't just take a verse out of context, but you take that verse if it's not as clear, and what do you do? You go to another verse, and you find something that is clear, and it makes sense. You, you, you take the less clear passages, and you look at the other clear passages. How many of you have ever heard this argument before? They'll say, you know, God, the the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. Has anyone ever heard that argument before? Yeah, it's a very common argument. You know, there's a lot of words that aren't found in the Bible. The word Bible is not found in the Bible. (laughs) Go figure, right? It doesn't make it any less true. Friends, we believe there's one God, and through these verses, and I'm not going to read them all, but you can look through Ephesians all the way through, and I've listed several there for you. Uh, I'll read 1 Peter 1, 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, set apart by the Spirit for obedience, for the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ, all equated to the one God in three persons. So what does this look like? Amy, you have a nice little graphic up there, I think. You can put that up, that triangle thing. So what does this look like? This is an ancient document. How many of you have ever seen this before? A lot of of you have seen this before. We believe there is one God. The Father is not the Son on the outside of the triangle. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. But together, they are one God in three distinct persons. We'll unpack that in a minute, what persons means. But one God. One God. You realize that no other religion claims anything close to this. You realize you would be hanged in most countries for even believing this very truth that we are proclaiming right here. Friends, there have been people who spilt their blood defending this very thing because they believe that it is true. So there's one God. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. The Father's not the Son, the Son's not the Spirit, and the Spirit's not the Father, but together it is one God in three persons. So I hope the next question comes up to you, say, Darren, what does this mean for us? Well, let's go on to that. That's the biblical foundation. Let's go on to the next thing from here. the theological exploration, the theological exploration. Friends, let me just say, this is a safeguard for you. Do you realize that everything we get from this doctrine informs so much about what we do and don't do at this church? That's why we don't watch Star Wars on Sunday morning and call it worship. Amen? The Bible says all this. And when we use a word like the Trinity, it isn't to muddy the waters, but it is to clarify, to guard, and to delimit what are essential biblical truths for you. Can you imagine grandparents if your kids got into something that you know wasn't true, you would love them, I hope, I pray. But you would want them to know the truth. You'd want them to know the truth. So let's look at this. What does this mean theologically at the study of God? Well, first, we know that there's one God in three persons. And that there is an essence to these persons. There's an essence to these persons. There's a godness, if you will. The essence of a book, if you have a book, is its bookness. The essence of a red is its Redness. Does that make sense? It is what it is based on those things. And all three persons of the Trinity share the Godness. They're all 100% God. There are some that say that the Father is 100% God. The Son's like three fourths. And the Spirit, because he's that redheaded stepchild, is like 5%. Guys, we believe that every one of these is 100% God. 100% across the board. No more, no less. We can't say, if I can use this phrase, we can't say there's a Diet Coke version of who God is. I don't know if you're a diet drinker. If you are, I appreciate that. You can't say that there's anything less than that. These are, they are all of the same essence, yet they're distinct. They're all the same, yet they're distinct. They're each a person. They're each a person. What does that mean? We could say there's three someones. You could say that, I guess. I don't know how accurate that would be. But the word that we use, and the word that has been used through centuries, is that they are persons. This is used because they are, are I'm trying to think how to say this best, they're all rightly called God, but they are separated in their personalities in a sense. The son has a certain area he works in, the spirit has a certain area, the father has a certain area, but as together they form the Trinity. They're not three gods, they are one, but each are God, and because of that, they all come together. But wouldn't you know, there are errors that come along through through the time? There are errors that come along. Let me just give you some of those errors. There's one error that's very prevalent today called adoptionism. You may not need to write these down, but there's one that's very prevalent called adoptionism. It says that Jesus was adopted by God, and at his baptism he just became God. Just like that. Oops. That kind of that whole Christmas thing we just celebrated, guys, that's kind of out the window. It's gone. Friends, he wasn't God, they say, at the birth like we believe. He was a man that just got some injection of God at his baptism and became God. Oops. <laughs> you see how bad that takes it? What's another one? This is, very, this is probably the most common one the next one. It's called modalism or sabellianism. A lot of TV preachers, with respect to TV preachers, fall into this. Okay, I'm just going to picture this in Kansas City terms. We have three professional sports teams in major sports areas. We have the Royals. Which I wore my Royals blue, powder blue today, by the way. The Chiefs, and we have Sporting KC, our three biggest market teams. The people who believe in this thing say that God is the Chiefs at one point in history, He's the Royals at another point in history, then He becomes Sporting KC, and the Chiefs and Royals are just gone for the rest of eternity. I say, what? How do you get that? They believe that God the Father has passed, God the Son has passed, and now only God the Spirit remains whoa see anyone else seeing the bad thing there this is why guys often we have to be very careful about analogies we use with the trinity how many of y'all have ever heard uh, for instance i'm a man i'm a father i'm a son and i'm a husband therefore i must be an analogy of the trinity right no be very careful because you're doing the exact same analogy that they're doing Friends, be very careful. This is Christian, this is the beauty of God. Someone says, I have to know everything about God or I cannot worship Him. No. This is the, the mystery that is so beautiful about who God is. The, the Trinity is going to blow your mind because at some point you are just going to go nuts trying to figure this out. And you're going to bow the knee and say, Lord, I am not you, but I believe that you are one God in three persons. You're not a God that's passed away with the Father or the Son. You are always... Co eternal, co existent, all those things. But some say that the Father has passed, the Son has passed, and now all we have is the Spirit. Friends, I'm just going to give you some names because I want to warn you about them. T.D. Jakes believes this, Joyce Meyer believes this. These are not just harping on their wealth and prosperity, these are people who believe distinctly different than what we believe. Be careful. Be very, very careful. What's another error? Arianism. Arianism is a big word. It basically means this. It's kind of what I mentioned a little bit earlier is that, uh, is that the father is kind of this like God man. It is God and the, and the son and the spirit are separate persons, but they don't, they don't quite meet up to the father's standards. It's like uh, if you have a special child. I'm reading through Genesis right now on the way to work. And it says in Genesis 37 uh, that Joseph was the apple of Jacob's eye. And he loved, Jacob loved Joseph more than his other brothers. And what did the brothers do? Of course, they got mad at him, right? This is kind of where that error comes in. The father's like this supreme one, and the son and the spirit are just kind of there. Maybe you feel like that sometimes wherever you go, but that's not how God is. It's where Jehovah's Witnesses go wrong with respect to their beliefs. Last one I'll say is this, tritheism. Friends, our Mormon neighbors and friends believe this. They will not say it in so many terms, but they do. They don't know what to do with the Father, Son, and Spirit, so they basically say we worship three gods. They call it tritheism. Friends, if we worship three gods, call us Hindus. Call us pagans. Call us something else, but don't call us Christians. You should not just have yellow flags when someone says they worship three gods and claim to be Christian. You should have blazing, red-hot flags that go up and say, warning, warning, be careful, be careful. Friends, there is no God light, is there? There's no God light. And aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that your God cannot be so defined? Yes, he is defined, and we know it and believe it, but he is so mysterious. At some point, we just say, Lord, I'm grateful you're not like me. I'm grateful that you're not like me because I'm sinful, and there's none like you, Lord. You are the one and only God that is there. You know, last week, you'll see a picture of an inspector come up here. Last week, we had our house inspected, and I just love, I, I don't know, I just love asking people of things I don't understand, lots of questions. It drives my wife nuts at times because I don't know about things. So I asked the inspector, a young guy, probably about my age. I asked him, I said, you know, let me ask you, is your house perfect? I mean, honestly, is your house perfect? You're the inspector guy, right? You, everything's up to code. And he said this, and Natalie, you remember this. He said something like this. He said, my house it is an inspector's worst nightmare. I have so many violations, I don't even know what to do. Isn't that crazy? It's almost like the doctor who, I know some of you are nurses and you know this. My wife has said, it's like the doctor who talks to the patient in the room, don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke. And then you're walking out after the hospital visit and you see Dr. So-and-so and what's he out there doing? He's out there smoking. Friends, as Christians, in the same way, you can know the standard of beliefs that everyone else should have. But the question comes back to, do you yourself hold those same standards? Do you yourself believe those very things? This is what distinctly makes us Christians. Thomas Brooks, one of those old dead guys, John, there's an old dead guy reference for you. He said a Christian's life should be a commentary about his teaching. Everything you believe about God, Christian, informs how you work for God Monday through Friday at your job, how you relate to your family, how you live this life. So we believe there's one God in three persons. We believe there's errors you should avoid. What does this mean for you? Let's get in the practical stuff. Let's get there, guys. You've been very patient. You got your seminary uh, semester course in 25 minutes, amen? And so here we go. What does it do? First thing you need to know, this Trinity should humble us. It should really humble us. It is so complex, so wonderfully mysterious, but it humbles us. This is because while God can be known, he cannot be fully known. Friends, don't believe the error like Mormons teach. And I I hope you don't think. Friends, we have to make a line somewhere. If it's not from the pulpit, I don't know where you may hear this stuff. But I've mentioned Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. We pray that they come to know the biblical God. Amen? But they believe that someday you yourself can be a God of your own planet. Friends, you know what the mystery of the Trinity is? Is that we will be, the the cool thing about heaven is not the gold streets, it's not the pearly gates, those are going to be great, but man, those are going to get boring after a while. You know what the amazing thing about heaven's going to be? Is that we will never figure God out, but every time he gives us just a little snippet, a little dropper, if you will, of who he is, it's going to drive us to madly worship him for all eternity. But don't think for one second that we're going to become gods and demigods or whatever. We will always be at the, the, the humble state of knowing that we are not God, but by his grace through and only through Jesus Christ, he's allowed us into his heaven. And how that should humble us. What else does it do? It should humble you, Christian. It should humble us. In a grateful way, it should humble us that we are not going pridefully to hell, but we're going humbly by his grace to heaven. It also affects how we view love. You know, it's They had February decorations. I I am absolutely certain that February decorations for Valentine's Day were at Walmart on December 26th. I am almost confident of this, right? Friends, how does this affect how we love this Trinity? Love can only be eternal because God is eternal. Because God has always existed how he is, it is God. It means that God did not have to go outside himself to find love. God did not go up to some other God and say, man... You look good, I look good, let's have a marriage and make gods. No, it's another error that's out there. It's a bit heady, but if you believe that you ought to love and you believe that love is eternal, you have to know that all the persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, love one another eternally. It's a perfect love. It's a perfect love. Someone must love and someone must be the beloved Apart from God as Trinity, how can love exist for all time? The perfect example of love is how these three persons of the Trinity, the one God, love each other. If God doesn't exist how he is in the Trinity, then love means nothing. I mean, think about this. If God is not perfect in his love, how can we love others if we ought to love them? Christian, the greatest encouragement to you to keep loving the people that are most annoying, most awkward in your life, It's to remember that God loved you at the deepest point of your need outside of Jesus Christ. And if God is, is Trinity from all time, love can be eternal because the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father. And God didn't create the world to be love, but out of the overflowing love of His Trinitarian love, He loved us. Wow. Christian, if you're struggling this week to really know who you are in Christ, I just want you to take five minutes and think about the love God has given you. Without condition, without merit, without anything you bring to the table, it was all by grace through Him. What's another way? This is practical, hopefully practical to you. It humbles us, it's how we view love, but it's how we truly love. 1 John 4, 7, love is from God. Trinitarian love includes love for God, for family, for friend, for neighbor, for stranger, for even your enemies. Even your enemies because God has loved us at our deepest point of need so we can love others. Jesus came to be our neighbor even when we did not love him, friends. Think about that. And this was a plan that was adopted before the foundation of the world. You know, some say that that, uh, Jesus Christ's coming was God's plan B if it was God's plan B, then we must have missed something all along because God as the Trinity knew exactly where we would be and exactly what we would need at every point of every time. Christian, don't think that he doesn't know where you need to be at every point of every time. That's why you can have a life of love, because he's loved you. It also affects Blake. I was saying about you on this point. I had lunch with Blake. Blake and I have barbecue Thursdays uh, almost every Thursday. Thank you, Blake. And I thought about this up for you. It affects how we worship you ever thought about this before do you realize there's a way we don't worship not just in christians uh, or not just in this church but across churches there's reasons that we don't just pray and worship the holy spirit there's reasons that we pray to the father we exalt the son and we ask the spirit to work among us it's because we know that we are going before the one god in three persons john 4 23 But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. This means in our singing, in our serving, in our praying, it is is to the Father, it's through the Son, and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we do these things. Blake, thank you for focusing on that us each week. We appreciate that very much, very, very much. Friends, but it also fifthly, this is the nature of true relationships. If you know this God in three persons, you know the nature of true relationships. Look, let's be honest, we all have different personalities. Some of you are super type A that if you're you're that kid that put all the paper clips in a row, and if someone comes and moves one paper clip, you just have a hissy fit right there on the spot. Some of you are so loosey goosey, it's amazing that you get out of bed and get here every day. Amen. And I'm not pointing fingers, but you may know who you are. <laughs> Friends, if you think you can exist apart from God in loving relationships, you are, you're, you're missing all that it is. In the original Greek, John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was God, and, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is literally saying that the Father and God the Son were proverbially face-to-face in eternity past. The Trinity, you know, it's not that the Holy Spirit's out on Mars and the Father's out in Jupiter and and the Son just happened to show up on Earth. That's not how it works. They have been all together through all eternity. And this is why that we see the Trinity's relationship that for us, this should be the most profound thing to love each other in a Christian church and love on each other in a Christian church. Because they have a true relationship, they, the Trinity, This is why we practice hospitality to strangers. This is why we have a benevolence ministry. John, thank you for heading that with the deacons up with that. Because we see that the Trinity has been focused in relationships since the beginning. So too, we on this earth, especially in the church, are to have relationships with other true Christians. And we are to live face to face before them. Even though we are sinful. This affects, sixthly, how you treat people. How you treat people kind of goes the same with this. You may remember Jesus saying, Father, not my, your will be done. Let me say it again. You may hear Jesus say, your will be done, but he says, not my will, but your will be done. Friends, we learn just as the son did in his humanity to submit ourselves to the father, no matter what comes your way. Many of you, and I know this to be true, have fought some very tough battles. Many of you have sick family members right now. We have several in the hospital But what we learn from the Trinity is we learn that to treat people means that sometimes we have to submit ourselves to the will of the Father, just like the Son did, in order to serve them and love them as we ought. It's a sharing of life together. It's possible to know and be known while still being individual. The members of the Trinity know each other, but they're still individuals. Friends, this means that you don't have to be codependent on someone else for your Christianity. This means that you as a Christian are responsible to grow as a Christian. It means you don't lose your identity as a person in the way you treat other people because your identity is not found in you, it's found in what Christ has done. How you treat people's shows comes directly from the Trinity because they treat one another with humility and knowing that each have a distinct role. And finally, it relates to how we relate to God. How we relate to God each member of the Trinity delights and pours himself into the good of the other members of the Trinity. Friends, what a great thing that is. How you relate to God changes when you know that God is three in one. Some religions teach that God made people just as a cure for his loneliness. But the fact is that God didn't need us. We'll get there next week. But through Christ, we can relate to him fully Not completely yet, but someday But we can have a little glimpse of what it's like. Friends, I hope you're excited for heaven. I really do. And I hope you're excited because how you relate to God now is only going to be eternally magnified when you get there someday. I hope that you leave today knowing a little bit more about the Trinity, theologically and biblically. But I hope you know that everything that you do in this life, everything we do as a church, starts with who God is. Amen? And friends... If you know someone who knows not the Trinity, you know, Dale and Nancy, if I can use this, I hope. uh, You know, Dale and Nancy and I are going through a study of the Bible. Uh, They're kind of getting this on a double whammy. It wasn't planned this way. It just kind of worked out that way. Nancy, you made a comment that you knew someone very dear to you that had never heard this before, had grown up as a Christian, had never heard this before. And maybe you're here today, and this is new to you, and you say, Darren, I just want to know more. We'll be down front afterwards. But if you're a Christian here today, and you say, Darren, this is just old hat, I would ask that you would pray through. Say, God... Father, thank you for sending your Son. Son, thank you that through the Spirit my eyes have been revealed. And Spirit, thank you that you show us all things in Christ. If you're here today and you've lost the awe and wonder of who God is, maybe on a snow-cold day, without a Chiefs game in the afternoon, maybe it's time to say, Lord, I want to know you better. Make this new year the time that we do that. Let's go before the Lord and pray today. Father, it's a different sermon today. We know that, uh, Lord, this study can go different ways. But, Father, I just pray. Father, it's hard to communicate this truth because this truth is, is uh, beyond us to some degree, Lord. But I thank you that in our finite minds, and our simple human minds, you've given us enough understanding. Father, I would just pray that you would enliven us through the Spirit as we worship you, this last song. But, Father, I also pray that this would just not be boring, rote memory. But, Father, that we know you through Father, through you, through the Son, through the Spirit, one God and three persons, that Father, you protect our church from error. You protect our teaching from error. Father, you protect our families from error. Father, we, we, we pray not to hold or domineer that over people, but Lord, this is your word, and this is what your word says. Help us to be people of the book, even if it hurts. But Father, may we do it boldly, but with all loving humility, because Father, it's a humbling truth. Father, I pray for Christians today who just uh, may have lost that awe and wonder of who you are. I pray that the mystery of the Trinity would encourage them, challenge them by your Spirit, Father, to know you better. Father, I pray for any person here today who's not a Christian, that they would see their greatest need is Christ, the Son, who reveals the Father and gives us access to the Spirit only through Him. Father, there's so much that can be said. There have been books written on this, thousands of page books written on the subject. Father, we didn't Hardly touch the foothills of the Himalayas today. But Father, I pray you use it for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.